Hello, hello, my beloved drama listeners. In a first for the pod, it's just Connor right now. Are you gagged? Could you recognize my voice? Wait, if you did, DM me because I really want to know if you know the difference between my voice and Dylan's because I've always been kind of curious. Okay, anyway, so we've got a truly great episode coming up. But first, I want to sort of entice you to become a member of our Patreon, aka Patreama by Drama with Connor and Dylan McDowell. For just $5 a month, you'll support the podcast and get access to multiple bonus episodes, including reality show recaps, a Tony Nom breakdown, the Zoom of our chat with Jackie Cox, and more. Think exclusive merch, Instagram close friends access, all of it. Go to patreon.com slash the drama podcast and subscribe. You literally won't regret it. Okay, now on to the show. Press play, curtain of an hour in, it's time to take spin, the shade and tea to spill, ooh, ooh drama. drama, oh that's a tweet, did they book, who got nom, they option no, oh I'm not well, what, what star, star will we, we talk, talk to today? today, oh that's a gag honey, say no more, drama, drama, drama. welcome to drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, Love and life in New, New York, York City. City. I am Connor McDowell and I am Dylan McDowell, and this is our Halloween episode. Ooh, spooky. Okay, I've, been, I've had trouble sleeping lately, and I know, I know. you have too because okay, we fell in me. I know. Well, we fell into peer pressure two years after it came out to watch The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix, and oh my god, I think nothing scares me more with like haunted content than things that could actually happen kind of the idea that's why i really can't dip my toes into true crime because it feels too real and like oh my yeah. god i could be stalked or you know all this stuff but ghost stories are like who is not afraid of the idea that you're in a haunted house or that you might be seeing you know little children playing with oh my things. god stop it is so scary the scary in period clothing in period clothing yeah why they always got to be in period clothing <laughs> None of them are ever wearing, like, um, you know... Their drama merch. Their drama merch. <laughs> but the scariest ever is when those little kids are in their beds and, like, an arm reaches over. Or that, oh that nasty-ass bent neck lady. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. It w- I, I, I've never been more scared in my life. And so, thank goodness. I had a good night's sleep last night, but it's been a I'll week. I'll say, I haven't been this scared of something since The Conjuring. And I think there's a sort of a through line of like haunted houses, haunted basement, things like that. Children. And then of course there was the follow-up, which was the haunting of Bly Manor, which wasn't as scary. I don't want to call it a letdown. No, it was, it was just different. Well, not to spoil, mild spoiler for Bly Manor, but it's like one of the characters says at the end, this doesn't sound like a ghost story. It sounds like, it sounds like a love story, mm, which I was, mm. gag- I was gagged. Um, the acting's good too. And there's some hot men. Of course, I have to shout out Oliver Jackson Cohen, who's in both seasons, he's hot. And and we had a feeling in season one that he was masking some sort of a European accent. And he was. That's one of our favorite games to play is, do uh, they have an accent that they're, you know, pretending? And I think it's Welsh. It was very Richard Madden. Huh? So what else are you doing to get in the spooky, the spooky season that we have yet to have our Spooky Sisters Night. Right. We usually, every year this weekend, I think we talked about this on the pod. This is our first Halloween episode on drama, but last yeah. we, we had recorded episodes before Halloween last year. Anyway, we, we usually go see a play and then we do like, we watch Hocus Pocus and have all these, you know, baked goods. And on the topic of Hocus Pocus, yeah, we, we've got to jump in with our guest today because this I is- I know, really, it's time. We have wanted him since the inception of drama 
And what a better occasion to bring him on for than this moment in history. Mm-hmm. Years, he's had this show in New York that's been running for years, and now it's coming to your living rooms or your, your, wherever you, you know, watch things. You know, before he can speak, I do want to say that when I started working at 54 Below, he was the first famous person to befriend me. He followed me on Twitter. And I remember I was standing by the bathroom and Jennifer Ashley Tepper walked by and she was like, Dylan, are you okay? And I had just gotten the notification. And I said, Jay Armstrong Johnson, spoiler alert, um, followed me. And she looked at me and she said, Dylan, this is only the beginning. And ever since then, this person has- Paul vibes. This is the beginning. Literally, literally. This is the beginning. Um, This person has just always been there as like a guiding light post of positivity and joy. And I'm going to read him in. You already know who it is, but I'm going to read him in. Our guest today was the recipient of a 2020 Outer Critics Circle Award honor and was nominated for both Lucille Lortel and Drama Desk Awards for Outstanding Featured Actor in a Musical all for his work in Scotland, PA. This Texas boy splashed onto the scene in the national tour of A Chorus Line as Mark, then made his Broadway debut understudying Gavin Creel in The Tribe of Hair. After standing by for My Baby Daddy, Aaron Tveit, in Catch Me If You Can, our guest originated the role of Greg Wilhout in Hands on a Hard Body, and then starred as Chip in the celebrated revival of On the Town. Additional credits include the New York Philharmonic Sweeney Todd, New York City Opera Candide, Fire and Air, The Mad Ones, the 30th Anniversary Company of the Phantom of the Opera as Raoul, New York City Center as a chorus line, and Darling Grenadine. You'll surely recognize him from Quantico as Dr. Will Olson and from working alongside his pal Todrick Hall on the song Color in Straight Outta Oz. Jay's debut album, Jay Armstrong Johnson Live at Feinstein's 54 Below, is available on Spotify, iTunes, and BroadwayRecords.com. Our guest is the star and creator of I Put a Spell on You, an annual show that is a spoof of and tribute to the beloved cult classic movie, Hocus Pocus, which at the time that this episode debuts will premiere tomorrow night, October 29th at 8 p.m. for free via Broadway Cares. Please welcome to drama, Jay Jay Armstrong Armstrong Johnson. Johnson. Um, You guys are literally making me cry. (laughs) (laughs) I see it. I see like a little bit of a... A tear. It is. It's just because I got four hours of sleep and I'm feeling a little emotional today. Oh, what was it that got you a little teary? Just like hearing you talk nice about me. <laughs> You're an you easy man it. to please. <laughs> oh my God. Truly. Well, Jay, we're so happy. We're so happy to have you. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. I am the most happy to be here. <laughs> Are you doing well? I am doing well. Um, I'm working so hard but it's on a passion project and i love halloween time more than any other time and uh the fact that i'm able to create right now in these weird weird times um is a blessing and i feel privileged and grateful <laughs> truly absolutely you, are you always have that. that you always have that perspective jay you're you're such a source of like i said earlier positivity and inspiration it's really great it's it's nice you know when i discovered you like i mentioned my baby daddy, Aaron Tveit, I remember finding <laughs> you because of Catch Me If You Can. And so like, I followed you for years and years and years. And it's been so cool to see that you're the real deal in real life and continue to get all these amazing accolades and success throughout your career. Oh, that's very sweet of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I give a lot of credit to Gavin Creel, who has been my um, hero and mentor. Um, you know, I 
as you mentioned, I understudy him in hair and to watch him lead a company um, as both an onstage presence and an offstage presence was a true education in how to actually be a lead. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just about the final bow. It's about how you go through life and navigate humans and spread positivity and love. So I really do give Gavin a lot of credit for that education. <laughs> oh my God. Connor's in love with Gavin. So he will, he will listen to you talk about him. All Tell day. me more. Well, I never got to see him in Thoroughly Modern Millie, but I remember getting the CD and looking at pic This is, the, I, you know, it's crazy how technology really changed in a couple years, but I remember being in like, you know, early middle school and getting the CD booklet. And that's how I saw the pictures of the production and being like, you know, a closeted gay boy, but like, oh, he's so cute. And he's got the voice of an angel. Oh my God. Oh, angel. An angel. The biggest disappointment to that hair revival was that he was the only person who didn't get naked on stage. <laughs> correct. Yeah, which was like that. Correct. I remember we were like, I was like, wait, is there another scene? Is there another scene later? <laughs> <laughs> Can we go back? You know, what's so strange about hair, because I do want to talk about hair and, and your, your role in it, but when we saw it on Broadway, it was that summer, right after it won the Tony for Best Revival. And we would, ne we would never be able to afford enough tickets for our parents to come see the shows with us. We would take these family trips. So they would always chill outside and like hold a spot for us at the stage door. And they ended up befriending the stage door fellow. And he brought them on stage during the be-in at the end, during Let the Sunshine In. So Connor and I are on stage, like getting our lives, like flailing around and, and like, and Perry Sherman was there. I don't know if you know Perry Sherman. He was in uh, yeah. Yeah, a couple of things. We, he was like also in the audience. We were like dancing and Casey Levy was around. And all of a sudden our parents appeared in the wings. And it was truly the most insane moment. We were gagged. <laughs> truly gagged. We were like, I was like half unwell. mortified. But like. Well, the fact that we got to end every single evening with a dance party with the audience that just shared that experience. I mean, like, when do you ever have that kind of Broadway experience? Not since. Literally never. Never. Yeah. Not since, not before. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. That's a really good point. Maybe never again. I'm just kidding. No, we will. We will. We will. Yeah, it'll, okay, it'll speaking be of, like, bit. what theater has become right now, we need to talk about I Put a Spell on You, which is a big part of why you're here. And Connor and I were at the first ever live rendition of it. I believe it was called Jay's Not So Scary Halloween. Oh, my God, you were there. We were and there. Jay, if you watch oh the, the, the promo video that was made, <laughs> you see two very unwell, bloated <laughs> versions of us <laughs> sitting right by the stairs, like, when you enter. We're, like, in that spot. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is you guys. We're there. Guys. We're there. We're in yeah. like um, tuxedos. Like we were. We were trying to be like um, a gender bent version of um, Daisy and Violet Hilton from Sideshow. Go on. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Ugh, I'm into it. <laughs> well, that was a fun as hell experience. Oh my god, the live vocals, the the makeup, everything. It was so good. It's weird how it kind of came about because. It was really a CD release concert was like what it was kind of doing. And so like I had done my, my one man show and by one man, I mean like me, three backup singers and a nine piece band. Um, but like <laughs> um, I did my show at 54 below in April of 2016. And then we released the album of that show in October. And I was like, wait, it's spookily close to Halloween. Why don't we make this a Halloween CD release uh -huh. party? And Hocus Pocus is my favorite movie of all time. And so we made everyone dress up like Hocus Pocus characters and did songs from my album with a couple of spooky tunes that we threw in just to make it Halloween. So that's it's like how it started. Never Amazing. knew that. 
I never, yeah, I, I remember, I mean, my favorite song, and this is my favorite from the album and that night was the way that you integrated the, um, the Sam Smith song with how dare with they Billy try Butcherson. Yeah, with the Billy Butcherson with uh, Billy Lewis was, was in that? Billy yeah. Lewis Jr. Yeah. Oh my God. So it was good. brilliant. And it's, I, that's like on one of my most played on Spotify because it is the vocals. Jay, you yeah, have Billy a gift. Has, oh, well, and so does Billy Lewis Jr. Mm-hmm. And I always knew that he did. And like, I knew that our voices would blend well together. And he was a huge star at that point. He had just like been a huge recurring character on Glee. Mm-hmm. And so to have him even say yes to sing back up for me, number <laughs> one, but then to also join me as a featured vocalist on that tune in particular was just like, oh, I love that. Man. I love when you sing, thank you. Is that with Amanda Williams Ware? Amanda Williams Ware, that's my best friend of all time. We grew up together in Texas. Um, Yeah. So Um, good. That was a highlight for me as well. Although we gave ourselves a really tough sing on that. Amanda's like, I don't ever want to sing that song again because it's too hard. (laughs) (laughs) So so in the years since that night, which was actually the last happy night before um, Trump won the Electoral College, what how has the show evolved because now it's going to be this online spectacular that with special guests also wazoo yeah, yeah oh it, it it evolved because i was like okay well we did this one night only cd release concert but like now i have these wigs <laughs> and now i have these costumes and they're just gonna sit around and so i was like we're i feel like we should maybe do this again and so the next year we did it at 54 below and we made it more of like a Halloween cabaret. So we mm-hmm. like scrapped all the songs from my album and like truly went for more like Halloween focused tunes and like gave pop tunes to certain villains. And so it became uh-huh. a villains party because I had gone to Disney World and seen their live Halloween spooktacular, okay. which is hosted by the Sanderson sisters. And so it's oh. kind of a villains, it's like a villain style concert and so i got the idea to be like okay well then i can like steal that idea yeah. and build on it and make it a more adult mm-hmm. because we sing like pop tunes with like racy words uh-huh. um so that's kind of how it evolved into like a cabaret that is like halloween focused and then it's grown from there we i mean I, dance is um one of my first loves. I studied dance all through high school and I love 54 Below more than anything, but that stage is as big as my thumbnail. Uh, and so I, I really wanted to expand the show and add choreography and add staging. So we moved the show to Le Poisson Rouge in right. our third year um, so that we could kind of give ourselves that opportunity to dance around and really um, create more of an immersive experience. So fun. And now it's going to be online. Yeah, well, in January, um, for the past two or three years, it's been my like goal for Broadway Cares, Equity Fights, AIDS to come on board as our presenter and our benefactor, um, working on projects like Broadway Bears and like Broadway Backwards and being a part of the Broadway Cares family. Um, they cultivate such uh, a community. Um, they're an organization that really understands what it means to like give back Um to give forward, uh, to love, to lead with positivity. It's like, it's like all the things that I love about mm-hmm. what theater is. Um, and so I begged them for the last two years to be our benefactor. And they've been like, sure, we'll, you, we'll be your benefactor, but go ahead and do the work and just send us the check. But 
back in January, we had a conversation with them and they were like, okay, we're actually on board. We'll be your presenter and your benefactor. Let's do this. And then COVID hit. Mm. Um, so I thought all my dreams were dead. Um, but then my co-executive producer, Danny Marin of Cone Limon Productions, mm -hmm. um, he and I had a conversation and we were like, all right, well, how do we innovate during this climate to still do our annual thing? Um, and so that's when we went back to Broadway Cares and we said, okay, so phase four is allowing for television and film production. What if we turned this Halloween cabaret into a visual album? And now we're here. Oh my God. I cannot wait. And you've got like Bob, the drag queen, Alexis, Michelle, friend of the pod, friend of the pod. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's, it is kind of crazy. The people that came on board, I think, Everyone's been sitting dormant, especially mm -hmm. artists, especially performance artists. I mean, uh, so when we went to them a few months ago and we're like, we're doing this thing, we're following the CDC guidelines of like COVID compliance, we're stepping onto sets, everyone has to get tested, everyone has to wear a mask if you're not the lead vocalist. Um, so we, we really did our due diligence to make sure that we kept our, um, our cast and crew safe and up. Almost everyone said yes, and then they came and gave 110%. I'm so excited to show you the work that all of these artists have done. There are over 115 people that have touched this project. Oh, my from God. In front of the camera to behind the camera to technicians to... I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable. As we're building the closing credits today, I, I'm kind of like in shock as to how many people actually did, did this thing. That's Everyone amazing. believes in it. That's so, so cool. And I think that we all need something new and fresh this Halloween season that's like joyful, but also kind of reminds us of childhood in many ways. And that's, I know, Hocus Pocus mm. for me. I mean, totally. Uh, it's like, it's in my favorite movies of all time, as you mentioned too. Yeah, it's my literal number one. Mm -hmm. It's great. Did, did you always love Winifred the most or were you more attached to a different character growing up? Always loved Winifred. I think that Bette Midler's performance in that movie transcends time and space <laughs> and art. And I mean, I think all three women uh, that play, I think Bette, uh, Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy Jimmy just mm -hmm. blow my minds with their performances. And Bette even says that it's her favorite role she's ever played. Um, I had friends that were in the company of Hello Dolly with her mm. and one of my friends, Larry, called me the day this happened. He was like, okay, today in rehearsal, Bette was like going over her lines and she said a line and she sounded so much like Winifred Sanderson. And then she stopped herself and said, that's too Winnie. And then she had to change her line reading. That's how much she like loves Winifred is that she finds herself like going into that character. Incredible. And she has to pull herself back. <laughs> it's amazing. That's oh, unreal. I'm shocked we never got the full Broadway adaptation of it. I mean, Kenny Ortega, who directed it, but this is this is what we're this is what we have. You have done it. You you were like, you know what? It's time. It's time. Mm -hmm. Kenny Ortega came to see On the Town, and he came backstage. And like, when I say I was starstruck, I don't get starstruck often. Actually, that's a lie. I do get starstruck often. <laughs> but Kenny Ortega is one of the like the struckiest of the stars. That uh -huh. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's made so many amazing things that we enjoy always you know what i mean like he i mean high school musical all of it he, he's great yeah it's always camp it's mm -hmm. always musical it's always vibrant it's oh, yeah. always fun yeah he's he's truly awesome so um, connor i think it's time for the question yes all right so we're talking about what you're up to now but we ask all of our guests kind of about when they realized they loved the arts when they 
maybe it was a production they saw or a film they were obsessed with or maybe it was like a theatrical experience they had themselves, you know, at whatever age. And we call it a ring of keys moment because it's that moment of recognition. Do you feel like you had one? I, I think I do. And I have spoken about this and I do think I talk about it on my album at 54 below, but it has to be my second favorite movie of all time. Sister act. Oh, you do talk about it. You do. <laughs> Which happened to come out the same year as Hocus Pocus. I mean, two, like 1993 was a great film. And the year we were year. born and the year we were born. So <gasps> what a great, it was I the best. Know. Oh, that's incredible. But yeah, it's, it's specifically, Whoopi Goldberg's monologue about the word eclectic and how she likes all kinds of different music, rock and roll, jazz, rap. And I, I really took that in um, because I love all kinds of music too. I grew up on country music, but I was sang in my church choir ever since I was in the sixth grade. But then I was introduced to like pop and rap music by like my babysitters, <laughs> like when I was like, I don't know, second, third grade. So I sort of this affinity for pop music and the top 40 hits. But then I was, I was also listening to like going to the chapel and like all these oldies, <laughs> like my grandmother always listened to like 98.7 K love, which is like all the oldies. Oh, so very fun. <laughs> this, this idea of having an eclectic sensibility when it comes to music has really translated into my whole life and career, especially in things that I produce like my, solo concert at 54 below every single song has a different vibe different musical yeah. feel which is why i needed a nine piece band to help <laughs> me pull it off and in the halloween show as well um ever there's there's a little um taste of something uh, uh new and different in every single tune that we do i love it oh my god that movie is terrific oh my god the life lessons the emotional payoff oh you know, um, Lauren Hill's Lauren Hill. performance, not only as a vocalist, but as an actor. Mm -hmm. Ugh, like, Oscar nom. Come on, give it to me. I know. Her mother, played by Cheryl Lee Ralph, was wrong when she said singing does not put, put food not on the table. <laughs> <laughs> and when she shows up she at the end wrong. during the Joyful Joyful performance, I am weepy <laughs> every know. time. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Man, oh man. I love that. Yeah. We actually had um Dee Dee Magno Holland, who was in Sister Act Two. She was one of the students in one of the students, yeah. In it. And we didn't talk to her enough about I what know. it was like filming it, but that was great. That was great. Wow. Yeah. What how amazing for you guys. I'm super jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, we're jealous of you because the career that you've had that followed the Sister Act Two back in the habit viewing has been something so admirable and I and I want to jump into a lot of different parts of it and just kind of like touch on various credits that you have if you would indulge us I would love to thanks for taking me on this journey oh God, we've, only, we've only ever done this one other time but when putting together your your vast vast you know resume we were like we have to we have to just jump around and maybe tell us something that comes to mind or like your favorite memory from it whatever you choose about you know said experience dylan you want to kick it off okay so we need i've mentioned it <laughs> twice you are the first person we've had on the podcast who was a part of catch me if you can which is my favorite musical of all time i remember one time you came into the office and you saw that i had the hat sitting there and you're like do you have catch me if you can hat and i was like yeah and you're like 
I thought only the cast had that. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm sure it was sold as merch. I found it at the flea market one year. But what was that experience like when you look back? I mean, there's the legendary story that you never got to go on because Aaron is a workhorse. <laughs> but it, it was an incredible experience because I got to be a fly on the wall um, again. Like a, a hair was an incredible experience because it was a, being a part of a revival and being a fly on the wall and watching a show that's been done before be redone brilliantly. And then, but I had to understudy nine different roles in hair. And so I had a really big job to do. And Catch Me If You Can, I had a big job to do because that role is unbelievably intense. It's like the Tracy Turnblad of mm -hmm. that particular production. So I, I had some something to do there, but it was really watching the creation of a new musical come to fruition. Um, and that was... Uh, that was the coolest part. Um, Norbert Leo Butz is one of the smartest humans on the face of the planet. Mm -hmm. So to watch him work in a studio and have these tough conversations about the molding of a narrative and about how the music is um, helping or hurting the cause. I mean, it, he really, I was just like sitting there and hanging on his every word and truly learning a lot about what it means to be a lead in a show and, help a show find its way mm -hmm. to Broadway. Um, so yeah, it was an incredible experience and also a really frustrating one because yeah. I was doing all of this work and I wanted so badly to go on. Um, but that year was a tough year. Um, I learned a lot about what it means to be in a new musical. And when you're in a tough season that also has Book of Mormon, know, Book of Mormon mm -hmm. uh, then it, sometimes such a good musical, which it really was. Catch Me If You Can is a really fantastic musical. It just got a, a bit trumped by the one of the funniest musicals of all time. Yeah. And so <laughs> it was short-lived. And I, I remember distinctly when we got our closing notice, we still had a couple of months left of the run, but I was just like, I'm not going on for this role. Because <laughs> I... Aaron's not going to let this one go. Yeah. And he did it. Yeah. So you, cause you were, you had a principal contract for that, correct? I did. That was my representation at the time. They really fought hard. Um, cause it is a principal contract to be a standby because you're there only standing by for that one principal role. But I remember my representation working hard to get me on the principal role page in the plate. Uh -huh. And so all of a sudden there I was my weird little headshot, with my chemically straightened hair, ew, <laughs> um, up there with Aaron and with Norbert and, uh, you know, all of the other principals. Everyone's like, wait, how are you on the principal page? And I was like, talk to my agent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh, so cute. Fun. I love it. Well, thank you for indulging me on that. How long were you involved uh, with Catch Me If You Can? Because I heard that there were certain iterations of it where the show was much different. It was a lot darker and a, kind of more focused on, like, the idea of father-son relationships um, is that true? I I think so. Um, I, I believe that there was an out-of-town tryout in Seattle that I was not a part of because I was doing hair at the time. And so when it came to Broadway, then they needed to find the standby for Aaron. And so that's when I was brought into the project. And so I remember this, um, I remember Jack O'Brien and Jerry Mitchell really kind of taking the show in more of like a variety show mm -hmm. way. And that was, that was kind of a contention with Norbert. Cause I think Norbert wanted to keep it more dark. He wanted to keep it more centered on the, like the deeper, darker relationship between father and son. Yeah. And so that, 
that was where I was watching those really hard conversations happen in the rehearsal room was like Norbert wanting this and the directing team wanting this. And so I was like, how is this going to happen? Interesting. So that, so yeah, I, I, I never saw the iteration where it was darker. Um, but yeah, that, that was at least my, if I'm remembering it correctly, that's, yeah. I think that's what was happening. Oh my God. That is so, I mean, well, we, oh my God. That's another podcast. Okay, Connor, pick pick okay. another credit for them. Next, I've got to ask you about Quantico. And I'm wondering about two things specifically. <laughs> Priyanka Chopra's hair was its own <sighs> character itself. And I guess this isn't a question, you're the, but... <laughs> you're, you're not the first person to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it was always beautifully blown out and well done. And Alex... What's her, what's her name? Alex... I forget her last name. Alex Parrish. Alex Parrish. Parrish. She was always just evading trouble. And she was... Talk about drama. She was thrown into it, girl. And her blowout was always pristine. Like, I think at one point she was, like, literally on the run for, like, being potentially a terrorist. I'm trying to remember, you know... And she puts, like, a hat on to try to, uh like, hide herself. But yet her blowout is still just, like, billowing in the the wind. Incredible. (laughs) Incredible. Because you can't... Were you in season one, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then all, all, all three, 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 one, two, and three. That's right. How fun. Yeah. And then of course you had a sex scene with Russell Tovey. No one's mad. No one. <laughs> I mean, you've lived all of the dreams I've ever had. That was a really intense day on set because uh, you know it, the intimacy director is there, and like we know it's a sex scene, and so everyone's being very um, careful about what's happening, and we're spending way more time in the hair and makeup trailer, literally getting our bodies painted right. with like bronzer to make sure that we're not coming. I mean, cause you put a little bit of light on this white body and all of a sudden the frame can't, it. <laughs> the lens is just like, can't find the color. But yeah, that was a cool day. And Russell was very cool. He's such a pro. Um, and he's also one of the sexiest and yeah, I enjoyed that day. He, is sexy. <laughs> he, kind, he kind of had a moment there. He was like looking and um, Quantico and, he did Angels yeah. in the West End, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he did. Did you love Quantico? Was that your first scripted, long-running role? Yeah, it was my first um, recurring role. I've never had a series regular. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. But, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it so much because it was a new experience. I had no clue what I was doing it was like fake it till you make it the whole time learn from those that you like around you Um, I was just a kid in the candy store they shipped me off to Montreal for six months to do the first season and so I was living in the coldest place I'd ever lived in my life but in the most beautiful place as well and just living my dreams of what it meant to be on on television and on network television too where there's lots of money and lots of of Kush and you know I I really had such a good time and learned too much yeah I love that show that was that was so great and then you guys moved to New York so there's tons of Broadway people showing up left and right on that (laughs) totally I remember the second or the third season yeah the third season I got to play opposite Jane Howdy show Mm -hmm. which was super fun she's such a genius she's the best oh my god um okay next one let's do hands on a hard body Oh. <laughs> hands on a hard body. I always get nostalgic and a little sad when I talk about hands on a hard body for like a few reasons. Um, one, because it's set in Texas. Um, 
that's where I'm from. The actual location where Hands on a Hard Body is set is just like two hours away from where I grew up. Oh. So this script, these characters, um, I know these people. Like I, I know them deeply. I know them intimately. Um, and so I didn't really have to act in that show. I just got to be because it's just who I am. Um, getting a pickup truck in Texas is just something you do. You know mm. what I mean? Um, so the, the, that was awesome. It was also my very first lead role or first role rather on Broadway. Oh. I had been an understudy up to that point. I was mm-hmm. an understudy in hair in my first show. I was a standby for Aaron in my second show. So this was the first time that I was on stage in the company, not standing in the wings, hoping to go on. Mm. Um, but then, you know, as Broadway shows happen, it was another tough season that year. And Kinky Boots was the big sparkly show, literally sparkly. And we were a bunch of dusty Texans standing around a truck. And so it's like, what's going to sell to family? Probably the man in a dress and boots and not the dusty Texas show that the title kind of sounds like a porn. It does. <laughs> Because it was a family show. And so I think that's where maybe we went wrong on the producing marketing end of things is that we kept the title from the documentary that the show is based upon. Um, But that was maybe not such a great idea because every time I told someone that I was in hands on a hard body on Broadway, they'd be like, oh, are you the hard body? I'd be like, oh, shit, that's not great, actually. I would have bought a a ticket sight unseen to hands on a hard body. Let me tell you. We've been in the knowing. We've been known, Connor. Um, What would have been a better title do you think um um hands on yeah um you know i'm trying to think about like the the song yeah and i feel um, the joy i mean if i had this truck uh, (laughs) like i don't know I don't know. <laughs> Hard body just all of a sudden puts like a, a little bit of a sexy spin on things. Oh, yeah. It's like, it was not a sexy show. <laughs> like, there was nothing about that show that was sexy. Did your hand ever fall asleep? No, but my legs sure oh, did. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, we were in a rehearsal. I did the workshops of it, and then I did the out-of-town tryout with it at La Jolla Playhouse, and then we did more workshops of it before it went to Broadway, and then we did our, like, two-and-a-half, three-month Broadway run. And so when I'm telling you that we're standing around a truck for eight hours a day in those rehearsals, I mean, it's as if we're doing the competition, you know? So (laughs) they call a five-minute break, and all of a sudden the entire cast has their legs up on the wall just to get the blood back down. <laughs> you know, it was, it was truly like being in the competition. It was really, it was really hard. <laughs> wow. I'm sad I missed that um, one. Okay, next, I want to know about On the Town at the Lyric. The Lyric. I worked there for like nine months oh, as you? like their general management intern. And then I was their food and beverage purchaser all while Cursed Child or Harry Potter was playing. So what a beautiful, huge space. Oh, my God. Yeah, it, it's a barn, honey. It felt so epic. Um, I remember On the Town came to me um, right the, the week that we were told that, like, Hands on a Hard Body was most likely going to close. Then my agents were like, okay, let's get you out. So my very first audition after hearing that my – first role in a Broadway show was going to come to an end soon. Um, I auditioned for On the Town at Barrington Stage Company for a summer stock production for a three-month contract for a a tenth of what I was making on Broadway. 
And I remember being like super upset about it, but just being like, all right, bootstraps, pull them up, mm-hmm. let's go. That's the biz, get into it. Um, and that was uh, the first dance audition that I'd had in a really long time. And I actually remember that dance call so distinctly and seeing my friend Clyde Alves right beside me and all my other friends that had danced with me in all my chorus line auditions um, throughout the years. Um, and I, I got I got the role and I was like, okay, good. Well, at least I'm still working. At least I'm still getting insurance weeks. But little did I know that a summer stock production in the Berkshires was going to translate a year, a year and a half later to my very first leading role on Broadway in one of my favorite things I've ever done. <laughs> but I guess you look back at it and you're like, oh, right. John Rando, Tony winner for Urinetown. Uh, Elizabeth Stanley, multiple Tony nom. Mm. Alicia Umphress, queen of the universe. <laughs> Tony Yazbeck, song and dance man of the century. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clyde Alves, song and dance man of the century. And all of these people were coming together to create this. Uh, Josh Bergoss, you know, oh, so it, it was like lightning in a bottle up in the Berkshires um, that one summer. Um, and, uh, here we are now, or there we were then. Yeah, now. right. Oh, that's right. so cool. And then I remember Misty Copeland went in to do it. And yeah. oh my yeah. goodness. Julie Halston came in for a while oh. and did the thing for Jackie Hoffman for a bit. Oh my God. I Michael can't. Rupert was in our company. Oh. I was like, oh my God, original company of falsetto. Yeah. I can't believe I'm on stage with you. You know, like it, it was an embarrassment of riches that whole year. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I'm sad we missed that one too. There was a couple of years where we just didn't make it out to the city from Ohio. That was one of those ones we missed. Um, Okay, last one, or maybe second last one. We talked about hair a little bit, but when you look back on that experience, what's like the first memory that pops up? Um, When our producers gave us permission to close the show for a day so that we could travel as a tribe to Washington Mm. to march for for marriage equality. What's what's funny is that it wasn't even a memory for on stage. Or um, I guess we were on stage. We we literally followed Lady Gaga's speech when we sang "Let the Sun Shine In" oh my God. Um, in front of thirty thousand people in front of the Capitol. But yeah, that that day um, it changed me uh, in weird ways. It was me marching alongside Audra McDonald and her boyfriend at the time, Will, um, <laughs> and just you know. Uh, it was life imitating art. We were holding protest signs on stage and then marching in the streets and holding protest signs in our lives. It, it, it really, um, hair transcended everything for me. It, one, it was my first Broadway show, but two, we, we stood for something and we fought for change and then we got that change. Mm-hmm. So it, I don't know. I get emotional when I talk about hair we still have a text thread with the entire tribe. Oh my God. We talk to each other almost every single day. I mean, there's, so those people have been in my life and in my hearts for over a decade now. And we'll continue to stay there forever. I love that so much. Yeah, we were obsessed with that revival. Oh my God. Oh my God. And um, I remember there being all these like, you know, whispers, rumors about, oh, they're like such a, they're actually like hippies. They sleep in the theater at night and they painted the walls or all this crazy stuff that was like, you know, you, I don't even know where you would hear about this stuff, but maybe, maybe the cast actually talked about it in interviews, but very, very cool. We did actually sleep over in the theater. You one did night. Do it. We, <laughs> oh yeah. We like went 
it was super hush hush. It was like a deal that we made with our doorman to like let us be there overnight. We couldn't tell the producers. It was fully like an internal like don't say a word overnight lock in be in be in yeah. on, at the Al Hirschfeld right. At the Al Hirschfeld. Same, same doorman fine. who probably let our parents on stage for Let the Sunshine. <laughs> you are correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love oh my him. God. That's he's so a, cool. He's, the best. he's an ally. <laughs> Truly. Yes. Yes. For all humans. For all humans. Yeah, for all humans. <laughs> um, okay, I have something random to ask about. I want to ask about because Dylan was like, oh, this is the last one. The Mad Ones. Talk about an incredible vocal combination with amazing music oh my god i remember dylan saw it twice he was like i didn't live in new york at the time but he like brought me and of course you were in it but i could go back over and over again to hear those great singers sing those great songs just it was actually stupid i went to a matinee and i was like this is they're giving everything they've got right now yeah that was a wild experience because i was not cast in that that's show. right you were you replaced yeah, um, I replaced uh, Ben Fankhauser, who is a really great buddy of mine, um, but he got injured um, two days before opening night, I believe. And so they brought me in at the very last second. And for my first couple of performances, I brought note cards on stage with my lines on them. Um, it was truly one of the craziest things I've ever done. And then I ended up doing the entire run right. of the Mad Ones. Wow. Yeah. Such good music, right? So good. good. Oh, my God. I listen to it all the time. And I love those people. I just ran into Christina um, Alabada on the train yesterday. Friend of the pod, Christina Alabada. Was it the A train? (laughs) It was the A train. We had, like, when we did our episode with her, we talked about how the A train at length and how she said that you should need to be careful with what you say on the A train because people are always listening and you never know what Broadway people are listening it's true. <laughs> if you're if you're on the A train on like a Wednesday night between like ten and eleven PM, you could hear you could hear anything and get all the Broadway secrets you want. Seriously. My favorite was to like be in a Broadway show and then get on the A train and then have someone with the playbill of my Broadway mm-hmm. show next to me and just hear them talking, spitting uh-huh. tea, either liking it or not liking it, and me just eating it up. Just be like, LOL, you have no idea. You just saw me on stage. Uh, I remember seeing you. I'd see you on the A all the time because we would always get on similar cars at the, at the end of the A because when you'd leave Phantom. You would, you totally. would hop down. Because for the listeners, we used to be across the street neighbors. Yeah, yeah. I almost it's bought true. Jay's mattress once, but that's like a bonus episode that you'll hear another time. <laughs> <laughs> and I would so often fun. think, I would often think like, I'm going to let Jay decompress after this show. So you, you're on, you know what I mean? There's so much of you that I would be like, we could wave or something, but I'm not going to bother him. Like, on these nights well that's very sweet of you i would have loved to decompress with you <laughs> and now looking back i'm like why didn't i just talk to him or whoever else i'd see i crave human connection now it's <laughs> well and it's a pretty long train ride too mm-hmm. i mean sometimes i just need someone to talk to because it passes the time so mm-hmm. much quicker as opposed to just like sitting there monotonously <laughs> yeah yeah very true very true oh my god okay so we are sadly wrapping up but we like to end <sighs> on something we call a dose of drama which is that little, you know, piece of dramatic content or thoughts that are in our hearts and minds during this very dramatic and spooky season. Are either of you feeling dramatic today? I guess I could always kick it off first if you need to think about it. I want to go first. I do need to think about you it. Know, I want to go first. Oh, My, yes. Here's this, our last episode before the election. And what I need to say is, if you think you haven't done enough, do it. Because then when the results come through, 
you can at least say you did enough or you can celebrate and be proud of the work you did because I do not want to repeat of, of last time when I was like, why didn't I just do the phone banking or do this? And a lot of us artists have, have more free time than we used to. I mean, Connor was phone banking yesterday or two days ago and I know I'm doing it coming up. So please vote, please talk to like three people, maybe even more and just make sure that they have a plan to vote. We've got, we, I cannot imagine another four years of, I, it's, it's a miracle many of us made it this far. And I say many of us because of all the lives lost this year alone. So yeah, that's true. big drama, but do your part, vote. Yeah, very true, Dylan. Yeah, everyone vote. Okay, my dose of drama is not as important per se, but I saw live theater last night via my computer. I watched this fantastic show called Circle Jerk Live by this company called Fake Friends. I know what you're thinking. You're like, was this a Zoom da-da-da? But no, it was a live show, and it's available to stream for the next two weeks. So you can feel free to look it up, but their Twitter handle is Fake Friends, fake with two A's, and it is great. It was done in Brooklyn. It's like a mix of, it's kind of about white gay culture. And um, I guess that's all I'll say because it takes a really hard turn and it's bizarre and beautiful and hysterical. And it's three actors who I, th- I think they each play three roles each, but they like wrote it and Jeremy O'Harris produced it. And it is fantastic. I only paid, well, I don't want to say how much I paid because it's like a sliding scale, but it's available to stream. And I would highly recommend like a fun live experience. I think it's for the next two weeks. So check out Circle Jerk Live and you'll thank me later. <sighs> Very cool. I would say my dose of drama um, has to do with my executive co-producer on I Put a Spell on You, Danny Marin, and his production company, Cone Limon Productions. Um, In this crazy time, Danny decided to launch a production company, which is one a nuts thing to do when theaters are shut down. So like, how can you thrive? But then he's truly helped me pull off this endeavor of creating a Todrick Hall style, Beyonce style visual album that's going to live on the internet for a while and raise money for a good cause. So not only are we raising money for Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, but we are also Danny's mission in launching Cone Limon is to elevate and amplify underrepresented voices. And he's kept me diligent about that the entire process, whether it's in front of the camera or behind the camera or on the technical team. Um, it, it, he has really uh, kept me on, on that wavelength of remembering what it is to be representative, um, to be diverse, to be inclusive. Uh, and so I just want to shout out to Cone Limon Productions and Danny Marin um, for keeping the drama going in the way that it needs to be going. Love work. Danny Marin's amazing. That, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. I cannot wait to tune in. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be the best way to stay in the spooky spirit. I put a spell on you. At the time of release, it's out tomorrow night, the 29th at 8 p.m., and oh, yeah. Jay, this has been so much fun. It has been <laughs> the most fun. overdue. I'm so happy that we're coming to a close on our first year of drama with you. I always knew we'd get you, and this is the perfect time to have you on. Well, congratulations. This was um, a lovely experience, and it's so good to see your faces and hear your voices. Aw, thanks, Jay. <laughs> you're the you're, sweetest. You're an angel. And I can't wait for – wait, what website can people go to to watch your show tomorrow night? 
yeah, you can go to broadwaycares.org slash spell. Um, you can add it to your iCal. It's a free stream, so you can watch it for free. Um, uh, and yeah, it's going to live on the internet for at least a week. So if you can't watch it um, tomorrow night, then you can watch it the next night or on Halloween night or the few days to follow. Love it. So, Amazing. Uh, get into it. And then if you can, donate to Broadway Cares and the COVID-19 Emergency Assistance Fund. Yes. Work. All right. And everyone can follow you at J underscore A underscore Johnson on Twitter and Instagram. That's right. Because I want to make your life a living hell when you're trying to find me on the social. <laughs> oh, it's fun. You didn't want to do like a full J Armstrong Johnson or was that taken by? I guess I just didn't want to do a full J Armstrong Johnson because that would have been another like living hell situation. True, but true. It probably would have been the same amount of keys that you have to press to get those damn underscores. So. I would love if you got J-A-J. That would be iconic. Oh wow, that would be iconic. We'll we'll figure it out. We'll find it. We'll find whoever we'll has see that. who has it. Yeah, thanks. All right, everybody. All right. Thank you. Follow at the Drama Podcast at Connor McDowell at Dylan McDowell, and Happy Halloween and Connor. We'll see you next time. Drama. Drama.